Greetings and welcome to Let's Talk About Books, baby, where we talk with your favorite LGBTQ plus authors. I'm Anita Kelly and my guest today is Karen Michelson. Hello, Karen. Hi, Anita. Thank you for having me on your show. Hey, thank you so much for being here. It's great to talk with you. Um, we've never met before and I was never familiar with your work. So this is really exciting. I'm glad that, that you're here. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So, so let's jump right in and, and look at, uh, what you have going on in the world of, uh, literature and writing. And, um, you have a, a new novel called, um, The Maynard God. Um, can you tell us about this storyline? Sure. Um, storyline is about alienation, disillusion, and the healing power of art and imagination. But nothing heavy. I, nothing heavy, of course. <laughs> Actually, um, the storyline involves a narrator who happens to be a very alienated, disillusioned FBI agent. His name is Pete Morrow. And as an FBI agent, he has seen the worst. He's seen the worst of humanity, the worst of everything. He really hates life, hates everybody. Um, as such a job might lead people to have that attitude. He escapes through art. He escapes through literature. He escapes through music. He escapes through paintings. And art and literature is his only escape. And then one day, his boss sends him on an absolute nothing case. He says, look, you know, we're in Boston. This is where a lot of this takes place. You're going to go to Utica, New York. We think there's a drug dealer on an army base out there. You're going to scare him off, and then you're going to come home. And that's it. It's all you have to do. So Pete goes off to this strange military base that isn't even in Utica. It's actually in Rome, New York. And, and there's lots of metaphors in the book to um, Greek mythology and ancient Greek literature. So he's off to Rome. And at one point he compares himself as, um, you know, Utica being a place where um, Odysseus, Odysseus um, wanted to get home and lots of people in Greek myth. Anyway, gets there. And it's strange. It's like, it's like no one's there and he can't figure out what's going on and it's really empty and the base commander seems really off. And he goes into this officer's club and this band is playing and he's absolutely entranced with the band. The music just gives him visions practically and, and sends him somewhere else. And he's really, really intrigued, particularly by the bass player. And um, the bass player and Pete form a relationship and the bass player's name is Jade, brings Pete into these almost alternate realities, these dreams, these visions, these stories, and these myths swirl around Jade, like maybe he's somehow connected to the god Dionysus. It's never clear if he is or isn't. But the book plays a lot with that trope of um, rock musicians being um, somehow conduits of Dionysian energy. And through this relationship, Pete comes back back to himself. He begins to remember who he is. He begins to become the person he always felt he, he needed to be. And that's how art heals. But as the course of true love never runs smooth, it turns out that Pete is now investigating the mafia family. 
that is investigating in Jade's career, investing in Jade's career. So the two of them have to be very secret because if the mob ever finds out, they're both going to be dead. Um, and if his boss or his, his FBI colleagues find out that he he's colluding with somebody who's being funded by this criminal organization, that's not going to be good for him. Um, and so the, the, that's the early in the book, a lot of this happens. And that's the tension that runs between the book. And, and it's like once Pete finds his love of stories and imagination embodied in this other man, everything gets in the way. And he's got to sort out through the book how to heal, how to be, be yourself in a toxic society, how to be a person that you know you are and think you are, even though society tells you you're somebody else. And there's a lot of other stuff involved and there's this huge Greek mythology strain that goes through the whole book as well. So that's what it's about. Wow. That just the, the thought of like FBI and art in the same sentence is, is like they're, they're total opposite. Just such a dichotomy. Um, it's, it's amazing. How, how did you come up with this like storyline? Um, well, the storyline kind of came to me, I don't know if I came up with it. I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of people have asked me about that. I kind of channeled it, if that makes sense. And I, and that's not a word a lot of people like or appreciate. But here's what happened before I wrote The Main It's God. I was writing a fantasy trilogy called Enemy Glory, a different book. And I just finished the first two books of it. And I kept getting a mental image of a man playing a four-stringed instrument and sitting on my living room floor and at that point in time I really didn't know what a four-stringed instrument was but but I but as when I wrote the trilogy I also got these mental images that, that cohered into a work of fiction and I felt like this was a character that was going to be part of a work of fiction but I had to do a lot of research and because I didn't know what this instrument was and I didn't play music at that point in time um my spouse took me out to a club and said is it that and I'm like yeah it is there's a band playing blues in 50s that night that kind of music and I said yeah that's what it is he said that's a bass guitar because he used to play guitar at that point um and then he picked it up again and now he plays so I don't want to use past tense because he does play presently now and I learned bass guitar and I taught myself music and I got myself involved in the rock scene so I could learn what it was like to be in a band and that grew into other things. But as I was writing, I really thought this was going to be Jade's story. I mean, he seemed to be like the character that came first. There seemed to be, you know, and it was really odd that I kept writing like this is an FBI agent involved in this and I had to do all of this research about the FBI as well. And since it's in first person, I just let Pete, who's telling the story, write the story. And mm -hmm. I, and, and a lot of writers say similar things about their work, too. I mean, I think a lot of times when you're writing fiction, you get into a zone mm -hmm. and the stories are just in your mind and you just sort of write them down. And I didn't set out planning all of this. It's like, oh, the mafia's involved. Wow, this is interesting. And mm -hmm. You know, oh, he doesn't get along with people at work. And, oh, there's this other FBI agent that's always running to the media for attention that's getting in the way of Pete's investigations. And it just sort of came as I wrote it. So it evolved is, as you were just, like, creating. It's, like, just part of the creative process. Yeah, and that's fun. It's like I remember that, you know, while I was writing, I couldn't wait to find out what was going to happen next because 
I didn't necessarily know that. Yeah. And um, I really feel like if the writer isn't surprised, the reader's not going to be surprised. So okay. it's not like I mapped it out and said, this is going to be about this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. This is who the characters were. This is how they came to me in my mind. This is how the story went. And it really got away from me. I mean, originally, it was like over 800-page manuscript. Woo! Yeah, it just kept going and going, and I was having so much fun with it. And then I put it away because it was, like, way too long. (laughs) And when I finally took it out again and said, I think I'm going to put this out, um, I worked with an editor to get it down to the – it's still a long book, but it's not unmanageably long. Yeah. How many pages is it? In print, it's a little over 400. Oh, that's not bad. That's, you know, you cut half of the book out. Yeah. And at that length, I can publish it and not have to charge like a prohibitive amount of money on print costs. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was part of it. And the stuff I took out will probably make its way into a sequel because a lot of the stuff, Pete does a lot of commentary about social issues, about how toxic society is. Whether creating your own imaginary world is an act of rebellion against a toxic society. Mm-hmm. And I want to get into that a little more, too. Um, and this stuff can certainly come up as inner thoughts in another book. But one thing I'm very interested by is is I think lately, especially in the media, a lot of us have been exposed to, I don't want to get too political, but certain politicians that kind of make up their own reality. Mm-hmm. And there can be a very toxic element to that Mm -hmm. and this book takes the opposite view that imagination and your own reality doesn't have to be toxic Mm -hmm. it can be healing Mm -hmm. it can be creating the world that in which if it's a world you're creating in which you can love more and understand more about other people and feel more connected to somebody that's Mm -hmm. a good thing absolutely when and when you do that sometimes the world comes down on you mm-hmm. it tries to destroy you and yeah. that's part of the i don't want to give too many spoilers okay. but that's part of the tragedy of, of the book so what i heard you say was pot there's possibly a sequel coming here possibly um at the moment i'm writing a book that's not a sequel okay but, I, but i've worked on a sequel for this and this is the thing about new stuff for whatever reason i'm keep bouncing back and forth between different books and I'm not really sure which one is going to get finished first. Mm-hmm. One of them is a sequel. One of, and it, at the moment it starts the morning after the main It's God ends. Okay. But that I keep playing with too. Um, and the other is a completely different novel that I, I can say it takes place or it's rooted in the ancient world. The more I say about it, the less I feel connected to it. And and again, this is something that I think a lot of writers say. Once you're writing a book, if you start talking about it, you kind of lose it. It's not yours anymore. It's not internal anymore. Oh, yeah. Um, but so I've got these two two different projects. And lately it's been the Ancient World Project. But I do, whether it comes out next or comes out after the Ancient World, I really want to follow Pete's story. And I, I want to see where, where he leads me next and what happen, what happens next. Because um, I think that could be even more interesting than what happens in this book. So I have to ask you, Karen, what is a maenad? What is a maenad? A maenad is a figure out of ancient Greece 
she is real and mythological at the same time. There were real women that were considered maenads, and there were also myth stories about maenads. And they were followers of the god Dionysus. And they could be anybody. They could be your neighbor. They could be your daughter. But at certain times during Dionysian festivals, times of the year that were sacred to him, these women would gather and the stories about them, or they'd, they'd run up the mountainside, howling for Dionysus, dancing, going into frenzies. And the thing that fascinates me about Dionysian energy, which I am not the first to associate with, with hard rock, but it's the very close association in this book with hard rock. Is it is vision inducing. It's hallucinogenic. It's the kind of music you can trance to and see visions and speak prophecies. And it's almost an inversion of um, the god Apollo, who also oversees prophecies, but he's very what's the word I want to say, reasoned and logical and okay. disciplined. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they like balance each other. Okay. And the thing I love about their myth cycles is in the winter, the story was that Apollo, the sun god, went north. He left Delphi. He left his temple and Dionysus came down. So Dionysus was a winter god, Apollo a summer god. And I've come to believe that these archetypes for me, it become very important. They, to me, they symbolize a kind of balance. I mean, I think most people don't want to live a complete life of complete frenzy and being out there. It's unworkable. Mm-hmm. But you miss a lot if you're really, all you are doing is being very, what do I want to say? Controlled. Um, disciplined, yeah. Controlled. But you put the two of them together. And that's art, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The discipline and control and practice it takes to be a musician. Mm-hmm. And then the frenzy and vision you need for the inspiration. You need both of them and they need to combine and they need to be. And in a way, Pete experiences this. I mean, you mentioned, you know, combining the FBI with art. Well, one thing about Pete is he's a very, very good investigator. He's a brilliant investigator. People are jealous and envious of him at, at work. Mm-hmm. which is, you know, one thing he's got to watch out for. Jade is this brilliant musician and his bandmates are jealous of him. So there's this mm-hmm. this envy of things. But the two of them, inspiration and logic and discipline, the two of them as a couple are greater than they are as individuals. Yeah, they make a good a team. They, uh, they do. Help and enrich each other's strengths. They do. They do. That's awesome. And, and Pete does notice some of Jade's weaknesses too and the way he addresses them I'm not going to give away but they're not maybe as healing as the way Jade addresses Pete's but yeah they they belong together did you study religion and mythology well not formally but I studied literature Mm -hmm. and is you know everyone knows when you when you study literature classes you, you're going to encounter mythology mm-hmm. um religion i've studied informally um i've gone on reading binges on comparative religion from all over the world um but i keep going back to hellenic myth because that's, that's what i think speaks to me the most so okay there's your answer yeah so um maynard's uh god has already won several awards, right? Um, yes, it has. The, yeah, it's uh, <gasps> a lot. Like, um, did you expect such a wonderful reception? No, <laughs> <laughs> I did not. Um, 
So what a and nice one, surprise. It was, a, it was, a, yeah. And I'm really humbled and, and grateful because what I expected was, well, let's face it. The, the Main is God is a literary novel. It is philosophical. It is character driven. It is a bit deep and it's, it's, it's not a beach book yet. It draws on a lot of genre tropes. I mean, people call it, reviewers have called it psychological thriller because it has some of those tropes. You got the hard-boiled FBI agent trying to solve a murder. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, you know, romantic suspense because you've got you've got this couple that they have to keep their relationship a secret or they could both be killed. So there's that element of it. There's romance. There's magical realism, which runs all through it. There's a, a lot of... I did a lot of um, experimentation and, and research into Wicca and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, people that read literary fiction, and I have encountered this, people that have read this book have said that, yeah, I like it, but I, they like their literary fiction to be domestic realism. They don't, they don't want the magic in it. They don't want the genre tropes intruding. And people looking for a thriller are often looking for a particular formula and it's not mm-hmm. formula. So I had no idea this was going to win awards. I thought this is going to reach a really small niche audience that might be drawn to the theme more than anything else. But so it, yeah, I was shocked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah People are reading this. And well, you know, it crosses over, you said it, so many genres that it it is, I think, inevitable that it would win all these awards and, and that, you know, it would appeal to such a diverse audience, I think. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And and have you heard from your readers? Like, do they respond favorably to the book? And The people that contact me do. Yeah. Okay. Nobody contacts me and says, I hate the book. That's good. Uh, but, you know, you know p- people... People like the fact that it's a gay couple and that it's not a stereotype. I mean, these characters are multifaceted, multidimensional. Mm-hmm. And yes, there's two men in love, but it's not just that. There's all kinds of other things going on in their lives. And and in gay readers have, have you know written to me and said that they really they really love that because you know a lot of According to them, a lot of books that they see, it's just if they have a gay character, that's their whole personality or something. And that's not what this book is. Yeah. They're very complex characters in a lot of levels. Um, and I love that. I do feel people that liked my Enemy Glory trilogy aren't necessarily on board with this book because it is very much a break. I mean, I mean, there is continuity in the sense that both books have magic in them. Both books have myth. Both books have philosophy the trilogy deals a lot more with philosophies of good and evil and what does it mean to be evil and why people choose that path and i think there's a number of readers that would have preferred me to do more books in that series you know Mm -hmm. you've got three of these books that are in this fantasy series and now you're taking this dive into 1990s america which is where which is where maine it takes place okay it takes place in boston in 1990 1992 1993 and the rock and roll scene and um all i can say to that is maybe at some point there'll be another llewellyn book llewellyn is the character in the trilogy uh one thing i really like and one reason i'm i'm indie when one reason i left traditional publishing is is I like being able to write the stories that come to me that I want to write. Um, and traditional publishing, they very much want to 
shoehorn you into one thing. Mm-hmm. Like if if one thing is successful, you you keep doing that kind of thing over and over to that particular audience. So, you yeah, know, I get it. I mean, I get it. I mean, people like what they like, and I I hope people give this a try. It's not the trilogy, but it has a lot of witchcraft and a lot of myth and magic in it. So yeah. it might satisfy some. Yeah, and and that's why you know a lot of authors you know, when they write a different genre, they'll, they'll use a different pen name, right? Because, right. you know, readers, you associate um, a name with a particular type of book. Um, so it makes sense that you would, you know, use a different name. Um, but you were brave. And <laughs> I was brave. Is this the time I show my book on camera? Um, well, you can, but this is a video, <laughs> video only. But <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, okay. where? But where would uh, our listeners find your book? Where would they be able to get it? Okay, you can get it everywhere online. You can get it on Amazon, of course. You can get it at Apple Books. You can get it at Kobo. You can get it at Barnes and Noble online. Um. It's available in some of my local bookstores. Tatnik Booksellers, which is the largest indie bookstore in New England, is now carrying it. Okay. Um, it's also available at Ciotos, and they're located in Douglas, Mass. It's available at um, the Book Lovers Cafe. They're located in Webster, Mass. And if you go to my website, which is at karenmichelson.com, there's a page for the main it's God and I list everywhere you can find the book oh, and it's not even exhaustive. I mean, if you go online and you find someone selling books, you'll probably be able to buy it that way. So wonderful. Wonderful. Awesome. Um, and you sent a copy to me, which I appreciate. I have not had the opportunity to read it yet, but it is on my pile of books to read for sure. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I am looking forward to it. So, let let's talk about you've mentioned a couple of times now the trilogy that you wrote the um and and that is comprised of i think the first one was enemy glory correct yes. and then you have uh is it uh hecate's hecate's glory hecate's glory and then the king's glory um comprised the um, enemy glory trilogy so so what is the premise of of this trilogy and and do we see some of the same same characters throughout each book oh that's an interesting question no okay but but mm-hmm. there is a theme that came up in the trilogy that kind of exploded in the main it's god so let me backtrack um the narrator of the trilogy, his name is Llewellyn, and he's a cleric. Um, early in the book, though, he's he's just a, he's just a young man who lives in this terrible country. It's famine. No one has any rights. He gets caught up in a situation where he's going to be sacrificed to this horrible, horrible goddess because the people there have no understanding of spirituality, so they think of these deities as horrible. And he shouldn't even be sacrificed it should be somebody else and it's just a mess and went to school with gets him out and he ends up in this other other country called thrill that's absolutely beautiful not only do people have enough to eat people respect each other people have rights and he's kind of taken in by this family that is he doesn't know this at first but he quickly learns that the leader that the, that, that the man that's organizing this will soon be the leader of Thrill. 
and he's trying to repel these invaders that are going to destroy his country. And he becomes really, really loyal to these people. He loves them. He sees them. You're my brothers and sisters in arms. He particularly becomes close to, to the to the man's sister. Now, this man is somebody, talk about mental images starting fiction. When I started writing this book, mm-hmm. my mental image was of this young man with long, dark hair being held at sword point by a slightly older man who used to be his friend and is now his enemy. Mm. And this is the man that he's being taken in by. Um, and he would do anything for this family. And they go and, and they have this subterfuge thing where they're going to defend this, this local city. And what happens is this friends betray him oh. and leave him in this evil monastery. And out of this wound, out of this hurt, out of this feeling that the the one pe- the people he he once loved just left him there or mm-hmm. never couldn't leave he adopts an evil alignment and it, this is early in the book and once you adopt an evil alignment in this world you cannot get out of it mm. so now he's associated with a true evil goddess um who demands all kinds of sacrifices not necessarily in terms of of killing but in terms of yourself all the things you love you have to sacrifice all the things you are you have to sacrifice it's a really tough road for him yeah. and a lot of the book is an extended it, it's an epic okay it's an epic fantasy there's lots of wars and battles and political intrigue and all of that stuff you get in epic fantasy mm-hmm. but a lot of it is an extended metaphor on what is the self what do you have to give up to survive and what is the nature of evil and what does evil demand of you mm-hmm. and this goes through for the the three books now how it relates to Maynard and I didn't know this until after I finished Maynard Mm -hmm. there is a musician figure in the trilogy and he plays the liar and I knew what a liar was I didn't know what a bass guitar was but I knew what a liar was um and his name is Alessand and he visits the monastery and plays and it's the music that eventually helps Llewellyn to see his way out of evil Never entirely. It's a long story. It's a long journey. But I think about that. And then I think, well, I'm doing that in my Maynard, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a musician figure who's also helping this FBI agent see his way out of this morass he's in. So I say in that sense, there's a relationship that I wasn't aware of till I finished the, till I finished the Maynard's God. So yeah, art is healing again. It is. Yeah, it is. And it, it's too bad we don't respect it more. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, while I have a platform on your show, I I would love to see all artists respected. Yeah. And it, se- it seems to me that the, the very, very few artists that are very famous and rich can get respected because they're famous and rich. Um, but all the rest of us who aren't, who are also creating and trying to heal the world, aren't always necessarily looked at favorably. It's mm-hmm. It's really interesting. But Mm-hmm. Maybe that's for another time. Well, yeah, I think you're right. And I think, um, you know, it it just uh, speaks to the the programs that are cut first in schools, right? It's always, exactly. the, it's always the arts, uh, you know, we can do without these. And, and I think, you know, um, there are people who, who just don't value them or don't see the value of of any kind of art, you know. And it run it runs in so many families when a young person says they want to pursue the arts and their parents are pushing them into something they don't even want to do. Yeah, it's you know it's, they'll say it's impractical. You can't make a living doing that. You know. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, but I think, um, what, what is, uh, what is the acronym? It's science, uh, technology. I think it's STEM. Uh, yeah, science, and, technology, engineering, math. Yeah, and so yeah. now uh, many, many people have, um, have, through their actions and words, uh, uh, prompted a change, and it's going to be called STEAM, and the A is for arts. Oh, that's encouraging. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, 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 um, it is. I uh, I just I hope steam picks up steam. Yeah, yeah, right. I I just saw that somewhere. Yeah. I don't even know where I saw it, uh, but yeah, that's. I was really happy to see that. But um, so Karen, how did you like come to write fantasy novels? Like, do you read a lot of fantasy? Is that something that you really enjoy? Well, when I was in school, um, I ended up focusing on Victorian fantasy, and I wrote my. PhD dissertation on why Victorian fantasy has been excluded from the literary canon. And that uncovered a whole lot of interesting things about the 1870s and 80s and what counted as literature and what didn't and why. And a lot of it was very political at that time, as it still is. And when I had finished delving into that really deeply, and I was between jobs, I had finished my program I had not been hired by a university yet at that time. I was you know, sitting at my computer kind of screwing around and just started writing. And then I realized, you know what? I wrote the first chapter of a fiction and it's fantasy. And there's this image that I have. This could be from a fantasy novel. And that's how it came about. I never really said, oh, I will write a fantasy. But it sort of came out that way. That's great. And I think all my books have an element of magic in them. Mm -hmm. And I love magical realism. And I, I love the idea of this is reality. This is the hard reality. We can, like, we can all agree this is a computer or whatever. But if you kind of switch your mind and look at it in a little different way, mm -hmm. maybe you can see a little wider and you can see stuff that we normally ignore. That feels almost magical. Yeah. And makes life feel a lot more interesting, I mm -hmm. think. Yeah, happier, hopeful, right? Yeah. So uh, you seem to have incorporated all of your roles um, and experiences into your novels. Um, I was reading that you were a criminal defense attorney um, in your past life, and you were uh, a teacher of, uh, I think it was, was it 19th century literature? Yep. Um, British, right? British, yep. And um, a musician, musician. So it seems like you were able to take all three of those um, careers and incorporate them into, and it sounds like your trilogy and, um, you know, Maynard's uh, God. Well, I wasn't, I was a lawyer after I wrote Maynard's God. Really? Yes. Um here's here's what happened i've i finished school mm -hmm. i got a tenure check position i started writing the trilogy english departments do not like you writing fiction if you're not there to teach creative writing and i was there to teach 19th century british literature so i left and continued writing 
And when that image came to me of the bass player and I had to learn bass, I started learning bass. I formed a band. I traveled. I played. And I was a musician for about 10 years. I did all kinds of things. Um, recorded, wrote music, recorded music, toured, did a lot of that stuff. And then I reached a point and I kind of, I'm not proud of this in a way, but we were just talking about, you know, you can't make a living at the arts. Well, I reached a point where I said, look, I have to grow up and do something that isn't the arts. And I kind of, sorry, I did that. And I left and I went to law school in my midlife. And then I formed a criminal defense practice and I didn't write for, you know, over a decade. Mm -hmm. I was defending people in court, doing trials. But I realized at one point I should be writing it's what my heart wanted to do mm-hmm. and I and I don't want to say I I regret practicing law because I don't I learned a lot from it mm-hmm. and I think I did I think I did some good for people but I think I did it too long maybe but yeah. no the, my my legal background did not inform the book because it came after my musical background yeah I, I learned from one thing, like it, like in most bands, everybody hates each other. And I think that really informed the band in my book because the, the members of that band are all at each other's throats and wow. aren't happy with each other. Yeah. And, and I learned a lot about recording and equipment. I mean, one of the things I'm really proud of is all of the musical equipment in this book is authentic to the early 90s. It's the kind of amplifiers, the kind of keyboards, the kind of everything people were using back then. Mm-hmm. And, and what clubs were like and what gigs and breaking down what sound checks your life I mean that all came from lived experience and that's important to to stay true to the you know era of the book um and all the details you know yeah 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 I was um I'm, I'm proud of that that's another thing people call historical fiction because it's it takes place <laughs> well it is and that surprised me too the 1990s are historical fiction yeah they are now apparently <laughs> that's funny oh my goodness yeah wow i would I, never ever think that that is something oh my goodness yeah that's wild when i think of historical fiction i think of like 19th century yep. fiction right <laughs> right right oh my goodness but i've been told by people that actually you know the review historical fiction that anything over 30 years old is historical now so oh my god <laughs> it's it's late 20th century american fiction ex- except it's part well part of it takes place in toronto and part of it takes place in boston so i guess it's canadian fiction too but yeah. huh. i don't know so what, who are some of your favorite uh, British authors? Oscar Wilde, I'd have to put up there. Emily Bronte, for sure. Um, George Eliot, probably Dickens. Um, also, I, I like Walter Pater very much. Uh, pretty much learned a lot of literary criticism by reading his art criticism. Oh. And when I mention Oscar Wilde, I mention... Like, yeah, I like his plays. Everybody likes his plays. But what a lot of people don't realize is he was very, very educated. And he wrote lots of essays about, mm-hmm. you know, the artist as critic and the role of art. And mm-hmm. that's influenced me. And mm-hmm. in my worst times, Dip Profundus has gotten me out of my worst times. And it's, it's such a beautiful piece that he wrote from jail. Oh. Um, so, yes, I love his humor, but I love his serious work too. He's, he's, he's up there with my favorites and yeah. um, oh, great. I don't know. Yeah. That's kind of where my roots are. Okay. <laughs> Those are great roots. <laughs> um, 
So you said that currently you are working on um, two things, the sequel to Maynard's God and um, a, uh, what was it? A... An ancient world type novel. Ancient world type novel. Sort of. It starts there, but that's all I want to say. Okay. All right. So um, do you have any idea when, when you might publish those or are you, do you have a, like a deadline in your mind? Um, I have my own self-imposed deadlines whizzing past me. (laughs) Um, But no, seriously, I hope, I hope to finish the ancient world novel this year and, Okay. publish it shortly afterwards great awesome and and all of your books are available on your website right correct well there's links on my website to places you can get them okay great and and um you mentioned that you are um, an independent publisher um so you're not with a, a traditional publishing house no i used to be mm-hmm. um a traditional publishing house published the first two books of my trilogy. And then we parted ways because I, the trilogy is literary fantasy too, as as I might've mentioned. And I really didn't want to write formula Mm -hmm. and they really do want you to do what they want you to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, that's when I left and went to law school. It's like, that to me, that's not what writing is, mm-hmm. and I, I love I love being independent because I can write whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Well, and, obviously, it's working for you because you received all those awards and you know uh, high praise for your books. So, you know, um, I'm, I'm glad that you ventured out on your own and and didn't give in. Um, you know, it, it's working for you. you. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's part of being you know, an artist too, right? Doing what's right for you, what works for you. Exactly. Exactly. I encourage everybody that is an artist to do what's right for them and, and not, not, not to engage in in work that you feel doesn't reflect you or that you're not happy with. Mm Because what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine that that would bring you much pleasure, right? Right. If, If you're doing something that just doesn't feel right. Um, and, and, you know, you know that doing it a certain way is going to feel pleasurable, and that's why you're doing this. Um, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like why you would try to? It's it's like that uh, old adage, you know, trying to fit a, a round peg into a square hole. Uh, to me, the point is connection, and to traditional publishers, the point is product, and uh, they don't always work yeah, together. Yeah. And it breaks my heart when artists give up the connection for the product because they think it's somehow going to benefit them. And I don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And there are some artists who have uh, been able to stay connected with with the art of their work um, and and publish mainstream, you know. There Um, There are some, absolutely. And, you know, it depends on the individual situation. Yeah. Certainly. Definitely. So, Karen, what do you do when you're not uh, working and lawyering and teaching and jamming? Well, I'm no longer <laughs> lawyering because I closed my practice okay. so I could write full time. And I am not teaching. I haven't taught in a long time. Okay. Um, I love teaching for music. But what I do when I'm not involved in writing is I'm playing bass guitar with my band, Point of Aries. We're still around. Um, and we do progressive rock and hard rock. 
So music is still very much a part of my life. Oh, that's so cool. Point of Aries. That's the name of your band. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool name. I like it. Very Aries cool. the war god. Yeah. <laughs> Rock and roll is violent and warlike. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you were kind of describing, um, I think it was the, the music um, that, uh, was it uh, Jade? Jade? In Main in Maynard's, uh, yeah, Jade, yeah. I, that I was uh, thinking of um, the Doors. Um, huh. Yeah, I don't know why. Interesting. Yeah, because the Doors would Jim Morrison would occasionally chant poetry. Yeah, and Jade does that. It's one of the things that Pete is attracted to with him. So that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. No, I wasn't thinking James. Jim Morrison. This was, I mean, Jay's entirely fictional. He's not based on anybody, yeah, but yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. 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 There's definitely a connection uh, for me anyway. So, so Karen, um, do you have any parting words for our listeners today? Um, parting words. Check out my website. Of course, I should guess I should say that KarenMichelson.com, but no, seriously, Art is healing, um, creating your own world in which you're comfortable can often be something healing in the face of the toxic society that we live in. And the maintenance God does address a lot of that. So I think you might like that story. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Creativity and- is love put out in the universe. There you go. And yeah. that's the theme of the maintenance God, one of the themes. Okay. So. All right, that's a wonderful theme, heartwarming, and and positivity, good vibes. That's what we need, right? <laughs> right. So, um, and listeners, you can um, look for Karen Michelson's books on her website, uh, KarenMichelson.com, right? Um, right. And um, I encourage you to check them out, and... Um, Yeah, and thanks for being with us today, Karen. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Anita. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Um, So, you know, that's all the time we have for today. I'm Anita Kelly, and thanks for joining Liz. Talk about books, baby. Until next time, may your journey be lighthearted, peace be plenty, and be safe, folks.